as much as we try to prevent mistakes, you know, I do have a chapter in the book that's basically an introduction to mistake proofing, you know, for an audience that doesn't know anything about lean or like, yeah, we should be trying to prevent mistakes at the same time. We're going to make mistakes in our attempts to prevent mistakes. So mm-hmm. you've got to be open to that, to, to the idea of being constructive and, and being able to learn from a mistake to then cycle back to better prevention. If you're punishing mistakes, people are going to just get more creative about how to hide their mistakes. Yep. And that's not a pathway you know, to improvement, yet alone excellence. Hey, everybody. I'm Elizabeth Swan. And I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and we're from the Just In Time Cafe, and welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions, talk to groundbreakers, discuss great books, and get insights from lean Six Sigma practitioners who are making a difference in the world. We let you in on cool apps, we bring you the news, and we challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. So Elizabeth, what is on the cafe menu today? Today's highlight is our interview with powerhouse author, Mark Graven. We are digging into his latest book that just hit the bookshelves, The Mistakes That Make Us. We'll find out how he turned an innovative podcast into a best-selling workplace culture guide for hot apps. We're highlighting how to use your phone and your friends to build your habit of habits of excellence. And for Q&A, we'll address the challenge of showing the gains for continuous improvement. Each improvement effort is an asset, and yet when budgets get tight, dispensing with Lean Six Sigma can become a cost-saving target. We'll talk about why that happens and what we can do about it. It's a hot day at the cafe, Tracy. It is. Up next, it's hot Yes, the app is called Habit Share. And it's a simple design. You enter the habits you'd like to form or get better at, and then you share those habits with friends or colleagues uh, so you can motivate each other. Uh, for example, I entered my habit of gratitude into the app. And for a description, I wrote list three things I'm grateful for. And for a frequency, I opted for daily. And for a time, um, it, oh, actually, it asked me if I wanted to share that habit with anyone. And I entered a friend's email, Tracy, that would be you. And then I searched, right? And it let me know that you are you were not at that moment a current habit share user, right? But then mm-hmm. they asked, should they invite that friend to download the app? So I think you got a little notice, right? Saying that, hey, yes. would you like to download the app? Right? So then... Once you joined, I got to go in and select you again so you could see you're, you you could only see that habit, right? So if I could mm-hmm. set up other ones but and share them, but because as a default, like all your habits are private. So if you are a private person, it's still a great source of reminders, especially you know, if you were trying to form a new habit. A colleague mm-hmm. of ours is spending 15 minutes a day learning Spanish. So mm-hmm. what if she had a buddy doing the same thing, right? They could share milestones. Maybe it would lead to a Zoom call to attempt a conversation in Spanish, or maybe they met at a cafe, right? I, I forget that people can actually meet in, per, in person, um, but what habit might you use it to form, Tracy? What would you do? 
Gosh, so many habits. What I think is very interesting about this app, before I talk about that, is it's really capitalizing on making your commitments public, right? So when you share a commitment, you're more likely to do it than if you just kept it private. So they're capitalizing on this influence strategy because when you announce to people, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to commit to it, there's a greater sense of accountability and and commitment to do that. So I have a question for you, Elizabeth. Did you, when you were going to share a habit, did you have any pause when you were going to go share it with others? Like, okay, if I share this, did you feel like like you have a sense of, I mean, it's kind of something you've been doing anyway. It's a, it's a habit you've been doing already. But for me, I feel like, oh, I better, before I share this, I better really commit to it if I'm going to tell people I'm doing it. So there's an element of that. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, it's a great point because I did pause and I thought, you know, oh, Tracy is already an accountability partner for me. And so I didn't hesitate. I, well, I knew it was okay to, to ask you, but I did think, wow, you have to, you have to really think about who you're going to invite into this habit, right? Are they someone who's also trying to do that? Would this help them too? I don't want to bug somebody. So I thought about more like, you know, this has to be something that someone else would enjoy or get something out of. So I have to be, I have to be thoughtful about who I invite for what, right? Uh So, so that I did think about. Yeah. Very nice. And to answer your question, what could I use it for? Um, So, you know, that I struggle sometimes with like probably a lot of women who are moms, self-care, And I'm always struggling with creating habits for myself, right? So, you know, doing Qigong in the morning, which I'm I'm still doing, I was renewed, you know, I started it with you a long time ago, because you do it. And then I kind of fell off the bandwagon, and then I got back on it. Now I'm in front of the TV in the mornings on YouTube with some Qigong, and it's just a 10 minute routine. and I love it. But you know, it's really great for starting new habits and trying to stick to it, which I really love. So Qigong, I also am at the age now where I need to start doing more weights and I find, oh, I spent the whole week and I didn't do any of my weights. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so do some strength training and keep it regular. And so I think it's a great app for learning new behaviors. And I really like the idea of sharing it. It's so fun to have a friend who is maybe also doing those things and you're creating a partner or having some accountability with that. So I could see that this could be a great app, makes it really easy to use. Everybody's got their phone and you put them in and it tracks things for you. So I really think there's some some value uh, with this app as well. Yeah, it's uh, another habit. I'm thinking about it now. I want to strengthen is my reflection habit, right? So I'm really good as a habit of setting my intentions at the start of the day, I'm not always as good at reflecting at the end of the day on, you know, what actions did I take toward that end and how'd it go, right? What what do I want to change going forward? You know, that gets lost. So I set up a reflection habit and I added it to remind me, because you can have reminders or not, right? To remind me at 630, because I'm just coming back from the gym. So it's okay for my phone to poke me, you know, it's not bugging me at work. Um, and also I've had a day or, and I've had some time to like clear my head and go, you know, run around a bit. So then I might be ready to take a beat and think about, well, how'd that go? So that made me think about what's well, the best time for that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, I, I feel like 
you know, there's that Aristotle, it's kind of a riff on an Aristotle quote that someone took it from, because I'm sure in the, the original, it wasn't as clear, but he's, you know, the idea that, you know, excellence is a habit, right? If you want to be good at, you know, leader standard work or process improvement, like that is a habit, like what are you doing each day um, to be good? So I feel like it's a great app for our world, for the continuous improvement world. It really is. I agree. And it re- there's so many apps out there for so many things. And I really think it's important to realize what works for you, right? Like this could be an app that works great for you, or maybe, maybe you need to post it on the corner of your computer to remind you every day, who knows? But I think the point is habits can be, it can be hard to build. They take time. And what are you using to help you build habits or help you break habits you don't want? Yeah. So, um, so great tip. Love that that we shared this app. Try it out. See if it works for you. It's free. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Elizabeth Swan, and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you'll get to hear our interview with Mark Graben. Next up, it's the disconnect between finance and continuous improvement. Why can't some companies see their process improvement efforts as the assets they are? And I wrote about this in the most recent issue of cost management. People responded really strongly because they've seen continuous improvement efforts that they've been a part of, like shelved, dismantled, put on hold, right? As soon as times get hard. But it's a secret weapon, right? To lower costs, improve efficiency, strengthen bonds with customers, which is exactly what you want during a downturn. So how about you, Tracy? What's your take on this? You know, it's a very uh, important topic because truly this kind of effort can save money. I think, you know, it's important that people know. I think some of the challenges is people don't know how to calculate or quantify savings appropriately. And I think you talk about that. You talk about, you know, the difference between indirect and direct cost savings. So I think sometimes people, I find they they kind of want to shy away from it or they automatically assume, well, I didn't really save any money. Well, yeah, actually you did save money. So I had one project in particular where it was, he reduced motion. He reduced motion for service technicians. So they had to drive to three different locations every morning to get their equipment, to get their, uh, their papers, to get their parts and their supplies. And he cut it down to two locations and he ended up saving every technician 30 minutes. And he was sort of like, well, I mean, I don't really think I saved a lot of money though. And when you really thought thought about it, and he didn't really want to focus on money because it was sort of a negative, like cost cutting, and it just wasn't a great message at that moment. And so he really said increasing wrench time, right? I want to increase Ah, wrench time so these service technicians can actually do more with the work that they have. So I think showing value is very important. I think it looks different for every organization. And yeah. I think depending on what's going on in the organization, but I do believe every project should have some quantification exercise because it's just good practice. Oh yeah. It's just good practice to understand. And you know what I found is sometimes people don't even realize how much money they saved because they didn't go through the exercise of that. Yeah. yeah. And I think you meant, I love wrench time, by the way. That's awesome. And just that spin like people, there's quotes out there, you know, you can't, 
you know, um, kind of decrease yourself to greatness, like cutting down on things or reducing errors. You don't reduce yourself to greatness, but you increase wrench time, right? That's a, that's the spin you want to hear. That's that's going to hit people in a different way. So I saw this, uh, a great example of finding the right metric. This was a project I used to, I worked for decades helping uh, Starwood Hotels and Resorts and then Marriott um, work on the, the first big kind of cross-departmental project they did was called Be Safe, right? I was part of the team that designed the rollout for continuous improvement for Starwood. So the big project was Be Safe. And they looked at basically workplace injury, right? All levels of workplace injury and how to prevent those. Now, there's some very clear cost savings. If you reduce workman's comp, right? That's, that's a cost. If you reduce the time people have to stay out of a job, right? Because of an injury, right? That hits the bottom line. So these, they found some very direct ties and not surprisingly, that project got amazing traction. They saved millions every year. But more importantly, people didn't get injured as much. And culturally, it's fascinating. I've talked to Sally Toyster, who was uh, both head of operational excellence at Starwood and then for Marriott. And she said culturally, that's so strong because she sees it in people's behavior, like if She'd be running a uh, a 5S, you know, a, a kind of a workplace organization cleanup in the like a hotel gym as part of Greenbelt training. And she saw somebody on the Marriott side uh, stepped on a box to get, you know, behind a TV set to clean. And all the Starwood folks go, went, no, 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 that's not safe. Like you need to step on a on a, uh, a, a step ladder. And so that's kind of direct connection, right? And what I what's different about uh, Starwood, what was different if I look at what people should do is they had finance partners, right? Whenever they had an improvement effort, they said, who's your finance partner? Because they should help you develop the metrics, right? What are the, what are the ways you're going to measure the impact of your project? And there's probably lots of ways. Like you're saying, Tracy, there's, there's wrench time, there's movement, there's, um, there's bottom line money, there's indirect repurposing of hours. So that's a big one. And the, the last one I'll mention is uh, language. And I feel like we forget that organizations are made of silos, right? As soon as you have, you know, two different departments, you know, you've got silos and, and you know, people are tribal and we speak different languages, right? Within an organization like finance has, you know, uh, EBITDA, E-B-I-T-D-A, and CBA, cost-based accounting, like they've got their own acronyms. We've got CIPOC and PDCA, and, you know, we've got our own jargon. So it, it we're tribal and, and like OPEX, I was just looking up OPEX, you know, we use that for operational excellence and they use it for operating expenses. So the biggest difference um, is sort of forming that bond, getting people to talk across departments to understand each other's language, stay closely aligned, pull finance in to think about what are good projects? What do you want to see as improvement efforts, right? They get separated. So when it's time to like, you know, looking at budgets, they're like, oh, continuous improvement. Well, there's, let's, let's just cut the training or cut things that we see as bottom line costs without seeing all those great assets they have of improvement efforts that are helping them. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Tracy, we see it all the time. We do. And I, I really believe, as you do, 
the the benefits of continuous improvement are multifaceted. There's hard dollar savings, soft dollar savings, there's cultural impact, there's growing people. And, and really, it, it shouldn't just be one focus. It shouldn't just be focusing on growing people. Because even though that's wonderful, and you could say, oh, we're not focused on money, the reality is you need to show value. Is this working? How are you showing that this is working? Otherwise, it's what's going to happen, just like you said, is people are going to be like, it's doing nothing. We're doing nothing. Let's just kill this. Kill it. And, and, and there is good stuff happening. And if we're not if we're not keeping track of that, it's going to be hard to show value rather than just a thumbs up. Like, yeah, everybody seems happy. We need more than that. And, um, you know, it, it really is sad to me when I see organizations, they're doing really great with continuous improvement and then somebody can't kills it. Like the initiative just gets cut because people, the, the value of it is not being shared. Yeah. Yep. Connect, finance and continuous improvement. That's our message. Mm-hmm. I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe. We host these monthly, so you can go to the www.jitcafe.com and go to our podcast page. Coming up next, it's our featured guest, Mark Graben. Tracy, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Mark? I would absolutely love to, but I'm going to say, if you don't know who Mark Rabin is, where have you been? He is an, he's an author of many books, a speaker, a consultant, whose latest book, The Mistakes That Make Us, Cultivating a Culture of Learning and Innovation, is available now. He's the author of the award-winning book, Lean Hospitals, Improving Quality, Patient Safety, and Employee Engagement, and others, including Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. These are awesome titles, by the way. (laughs) He serves as a consultant through his company, Constancy Inc., and he's also a senior advisor for the technology company, Kai Nexus. Mark hosts podcasts, including Lean Blog Interviews, and My Favorite Mistake, He's everywhere. And he's got a BS in industrial engineering from Northwestern University, an MS in mechanical engineering, and an MBA from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Leaders for Global Operations Program. This guy is everywhere. He's doing a lot. And we are so psyched to have him at the cafe. Yes, we are. Welcome, Mark Graben. We are so looking forward to talking to you. Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, Elizabeth. Hey, Tracy. I'm really happy to be back here with you. So I appreciate it. It's always good to see you. Oh, yeah. The cafe crowd is going to love this. They Uh, are. Yeah. So, Mark, you and I have been on slightly parallel book journeys, this this latest book. Um, I love that you invited me to co-host your cover reveal event. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really... (laughs) To me, it just brought out that people do not know what goes into a book cover, a really great book cover, right? Which yours is. And now that we've seen the rest of the book, it's totally worthy of the cover. Well, uh, I'm going to hold up yours. That's that's a great cover. It is a great cover. I'm a big fan of of your book and your cover, Elizabeth. You are a kind man, which is kind of part of what this interview is about, but... um, We are dying to dive in and talk about your book. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So Tracy. Yes. Thank you. So, so we are, I'm so excited to read your book. 
arguably your eighth book uh, we were talking about. You've got lots of different projects you've done over the years with people, um, but you are definitely present in the author world, which I love. And your eighth book, The Mistakes That Make Us, could you tell our listeners just a little bit about this book? What's it about and what sparked you to write it? Yeah. And and, and first, what, were you trying to spark an argument about the number of books or no? We'll just move <laughs> It's it's harder to count up than it should be. We but. try not to start our interviews with an argument. <laughs> I didn't think so. I came here for an interview, not an argument. But I will answer your question. Uh, I apologize. So um, the mistakes that make us uh, is a, a project that has roots a little bit in a previous book, uh, Practicing Lean, where, where 15 other authors and I all wrote a chapter sharing a story of basically a mistake we made early in our practice, early in our career. And so that's been bouncing around in my head and, and, and trying to be more understanding about mistakes, my own included, um, you know, trying to think about people, what, what, what would help people be more open about mistakes? And then, you know, September, 2020, I started doing uh, a new podcast series called My Favorite Mistake. And that in that, in that series, every, every guest, is you know coming on and very kindly and and vulnerably sharing a quote unquote favorite mistake story from their career, um, not necessarily their biggest mistake. That's a different question. You know what's your what's your biggest mistake? But a favorite mistake. You know it's meant to celebrate the growth and learning or, or, or positives that can somehow come out of a mistake. And then you know maybe you know 16, 18 months into doing that podcast, I started to see patterns in, in the stories and the reflections and, and the way people were sharing and, and reflecting on their mistakes. So then that prompted the book project, which then kind of evolved and iterated um, over time and, and became the mistakes that make us. Um, draws heavily on stories from podcast guests, but not exclusively. Like it's definitely not, it's not a memoir, but I decided, or it seemed better to, for me to also include stories from my own career and organizations I've been a part of. So I, it's, it's, I, I've come to say it's inspired by the podcast as opposed to being completely based upon the podcast. Okay. That's really fascinating because that's one of my questions for you is, so now I'm experienced with what is called blog to book, right? Mm -hmm. As a format. Yeah. Which, of course, I thought that was like, oh, yeah, you just take your blogs and you put them together and yep. then roll right. up. It's a book, which that's not that. <laughs> it's not, that's not what happened. Right. Um, and so you, you've you written kind of podcast to book. But as sure. you're clarifying, uh, you took some liberty. So I'm kind of fascinated with the resulting format of your book. Mm, yeah. And I want to know how you came up with that. Yeah. Um, so early drafts. Or the, I guess the initial concept was I will collect some of the best, most compelling stories and sequence them and put them into a book. And early drafts relied heavily on like really large chunks of transcript from different episodes. And you know, I was working with a, a book coach and I was also working with an editor along the way. And they both encouraged me to not be afraid to use my own voice, that, that I'm not just a compiler of stories. And sometimes, look, some books are a compilation of stories and that's that's fine. Um, but they, they encouraged me to kind of reframe key points that, that I thought were worth making 
and then use stories from the podcast to illustrate those key points. So it became less a filter of what are, quote unquote, the best stories or the most interesting stories, but it was almost more a matter of like which stories fit. And so then during that evolution and during the editing, there were some hard decisions around like people I love and stories I've loved. And I'm like, it just doesn't fit the flow. And the book, um, you know, I, I think I realized or I got some clarity that this is a, a management book. It's it's a leadership book, I guess. It's about organizational learning. And, you know, there were a lot of great stories that were more about, let's say, individual learning and might be more suited, better suited to it was you know, some of it was feeling like a self-help book. And I don't I don't feel qualified to write that. Now, people could argue if I'm qualified to write management books, but um, <laughs> There are some, there are a couple of chapters and stories I pulled aside, uh, not deleted, but pulled aside either just to, to publish his blog posts or maybe partner up with one of the psychologists who's been a guest on my show and, and, and get their input of like, maybe I should be the secondary author on a book that's more like focused on individuals of like, how do we get better at dealing with or processing mistakes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something you said that I think is very interesting. When people talk about mistakes, their own mistakes, they're vulnerable, as you said. They're 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 in an environment where they feel safe. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be talking about you know, this this thing that they're very vulnerable about. Mm-hmm. And they're being kind to themselves, hopefully, <laughs> in some of these stories. Right. But I think that's a very interesting dynamic that we're looking to have thrive in continuous improvement. So, you know, having people talk about their mistakes, it create it, you know, we're assuming that there's an environment there that's going to allow for that. Right. And I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was I, I was just going to say I think, you know, there's there's two different settings. One is the podcast setting environment and then one is workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think with the podcast, I mean, I I, I I must be doing something to help people feel welcomed and comfortable. I'm not going to pat myself on the back and say, that's all me. I think it's guests who are choosing to voluntarily come and they know what they're signing up for. And they're choosing to share a story because maybe they're in a position where they think, well, you know, I don't have much to lose. I mean, somebody who is the CEO or the founder of a company or somebody who's later in their career, like, you know, what, what do they have to lose by sharing um, a story about a mistake? And that doesn't mean everyone is going to feel comfortable doing so, but I've managed to attract enough people who, you know, are sharing their their stories and nothing's going to get them canceled or anything embarrassing, right? So they're in a position where they they, they have the confidence and the accomplishments to share those stories. Now, when you think about within a workplace, that becomes a lot riskier or dangerous for people. I cringe. Like I saw uh, a column somebody wrote online recently of kind of basically taking the stance of you should admit your mistakes in the workplace. And I'm like, that sounds like really reckless advice <laughs> yeah. in a generalized sense, because uh-huh. now in the workplace, this comes down to questions of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. What do you have to gain by sharing a mistake or pointing out a mistake? What do you risk? And I think in a workplace, it's far riskier for employees if their leaders in the organization hasn't demonstrated that it is safe mm-hmm. to share mistakes. And I, I do touch on this in, in the book a little bit of, of trying to point out, I am not trying to give blanket advice that says, 
You know, if you should admit mistakes because that's a mark of character or that's courageous. It's really more about culture and our leaders creating the conditions where people can decide, yes, it is safe to speak, mm-hmm. up. not out of obligation, but mm-hmm. because they know they're going to get a constructive response. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, so it's interesting because you're absolutely right. The workplace, people sometimes don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Leaders sometimes don't want to admit their mistakes. But I think what's interesting is, you know, they think in their head, well, I don't want to admit my mistakes because then, you know, then I'm not a good leader. Infallible. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because uh, right. honestly, everybody knows what your mistakes <laughs> are. Yes. Everyone knows you're not perfect. Yeah. Everybody they already knows know. You're not perfect. And right. you know, there's something that happens when you are you have humility to admit the mistake and people recognize, oh, you he's human. He's or she. They're mm-hmm. trying. And mm-hmm. um, it changes the behavior. Anyways, I just think it's very yeah. interesting. And when I have seen leaders admit their mistakes in the workplace, it, it, it's, there's something that changes in yes. a good way. Yes. Lead, leaders have to go first. And if you're a founder or a CEO or a leader, you probably quite literally have, you might have more to lose, but there's less risk of losing it because mm-hmm. of your position of power right? Or ownership or what have you. So sharing that, you know, the, 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 the mistake stories of being vulnerable um, is leading by example and giving permission for others to share mistakes. But then hopefully leaders react constructively when others follow their lead. Yeah, so they, yeah. these are the things that build psychological safety, modeling the behaviors you want to see, such as admitting mistakes, and then encouraging others to do the same and then make sure you're rewarding them. Mm-hmm. for doing the same. But I think without the leader going first, you, you could encourage. Yeah. And, and I think what's not helpful is a leader saying something like, oh, this is a safe space. <laughs> you can admit mistakes here. And like, it's not the space that's safe. It's it's the people who feel safe or not yeah. based on what leaders are doing or not doing. Yeah. So I think that's where the leading by example um, is, is really necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you said it, you kind of paraphrased it, but I really like your quote, speaking up isn't a matter of c- character or courage, it's a matter of culture. Mm-hmm. And to me, that quote is liberating mm-hmm. because, you know, just having to, the burden of, I need to speak up, like, and I, uh, I, I always say to people, you know, culture's a contact sport, participate. But mm-hmm. what I really mean is, as a leader, right? Because I realize it might be a toxic culture and participation mm-hmm. might be really risky. As you say, it's, you can't just yeah. say, you know, Hey, admit mistakes. So I think what you're right. talking about, a part of what you did in the book is you, you outline, you know, how do leaders help create this space? How do leaders build psychological safety? Right? right. And you just said two of them. Right. You said model. I think you had a, a few in there. It's like you have to also have that intent. Right. Do yeah. you want it to be safe for people to make mm-hmm. mistakes? Like, think about that. Own that intention. Right. right? And so I like that you start there. Yeah. And, and I want to give a shout out um, of, of you know, among the people I've learned a lot about psychological safety from uh, Timothy R. Clark in his book, The Four Stages of Psychological Safety. I, I cite and mention him. He was uh, kind enough to, to endorse uh, my book. But, you know, he that framework of, of modeling and rewarding 
vulnerable acts is something I've, I've learned from him. And I think it's really powerful. I think it's really practical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Um, every once in a while, you know, now that we, uh, we I'm an instructor, Tracy's an instructor at UC San Diego and Zoom and digital gremlins, there's a million ways for things to go wrong. And I think I did something and, you know, the students were like, yeah, but does, why is this? And I, and I, and I realized I had, you know, basically um, screwed it up. And so I said, ah, what we have here is instructor error. (laughs) And I could see them all just like, and this was a new group. And so they, I think they all got the message like, oh, okay. So mistakes are going to happen. You know what I mean? And I realized, oh, I should do that as a rule. I should do something to just remind everyone, you know, model as you're pointing out, Mark, you know, model as a leader, right? Because instructors are leaders. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay. Yeah. And, and what we do about it, how we react, the actions we take after a mistake, that's, that, that, that can be a choice or could be driven by culture but you're right. Mistakes are going to happen as much as we try to prevent mistakes. You know, I do have a chapter in the book that's basically an introduction to mistake proofing, you know, for an audience that doesn't know anything about lean or like, yeah, we should be trying to prevent mistakes at the same time. We're going to make mistakes in our attempts to prevent mistakes. Uh Mm -hmm. So you've got to be open to that, to, to the idea of being constructive and, and being able to learn from a mistake to then cycle back to better prevention. If you're punishing mistakes, people are going to just get more creative about how to hide their mistakes. And and that's not a pathway, you know, to improvement, yet alone excellence. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So a little bit more about the book. So you have each chapter weaves fantastic stories of missteps, gaffes, and some seemingly unrecoverable errors, which we know have to be handled gracefully. You've yeah. conducted over 200 interviews, and I'm going to guess it's probably a hard call, but do you have any that maybe two favorites or two that some that stand out to you in terms of being your favorite story of a favorite mistake? There's so many to choose from. Um, I mean, some of it's situational of like, okay, what, what type of story? Um, but I, I come back a lot of times to my very, my very first episode, right? And I would not have this podcast and I would probably not have this book if not for the opportunity to interview Kevin Harrington, who was one of the sharks on season one of Shark Tank. Uh, his co-author, co-author Mark Tim, who is a, another entrepreneur, they wrote a book about mentoring and they were promoting that book. And they both came on and think, you know, Kevin Harrington, um, you know, a quick buy on, on him. He was on Shark Tank. The reason he was there, love him or hate him. He was the inventor of the 30 minute infomercial, like George Foreman grills and products like that, right? Uh-huh. Um, so that was, that was his business. And then he got, you know, then he's, he's done a lot of other things, but he came on and told a story and I was still testing this hypothesis of, I think people would be willing to come on and tell a story that would be compelling and not, you know, something that's, that's a, you know, false, uh, you know, false modesty brag story or something. He told a story about, um, a stage. I don't know the exact year, but relatively early in his infomercial business, 
one of his like 12 products at the time suddenly had big, huge manufacturing defect rates. So I know for your, your just in time, lean Six Sigma listeners, they're going to want to fixate on the, what was the cause of the defects? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the root cause of that. But what happened though was, um, you know, Kevin showed up one Monday morning and like the bank had completely clamped down their cash flow because they were getting complaints and chargebacks and, you know, this was a huge interruption to his cash flow because of one bad product. It shut down the cash flow for all of them. And he was like, he didn't know if he was going to be able to make payroll, to buy more infomercial spots. Like he, he, you know, I said, this is the type of thing that really jeopardized his company. And what I appreciated, and I think this set the tone for others who followed, he didn't blame anybody else. He didn't beat himself up. He said, you know what? I didn't know at the time how risky it was to have everything flowing through the same account. So he learned from it. He kind of broke things up, separated it out. I mean, okay, sure. Let's let's have products without big defect rates. Like we would all want that to be part of the story. But he, he owned what he did or what he hadn't done. He focused on moving forward, making adjustments into his business that would at least prevent that huge risk. From from occurring again, and I, and I, I just loved how, like you know, he was he 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 wasn't, you know, he he wasn't blaming anybody else. So I admire that. Um, you know, he was focused on how how do I take what I've learned here and and move forward. If he had just blamed the factory in China or blamed the bank or blamed, you know, he he might have moved forward in a way where he didn't make the right adjustments. So I think even right there, going back to episode one, in a lot of ways that. That set the tone, I think, for others to to try to come on and, and follow. Yeah, no, that's a great story because he's also so public. Uh, so people immediately go, "Oh, Shark Tank! Oh man!" And, yeah. and then just that is a massive. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> and at the beginning of the episode, I asked him, "What's your favorite mistake?" And he said, "Maybe like half of my guests start, you know, say something to the effect of like." Yeah, you know, I really had to think about this because I've made so many mistakes. <laughs> and that in and of itself is um I think reassuring of like to listeners or to people or reminding myself, like I don't think people are successful because they don't make mistakes. Yeah. I think they're better at learning from their mistakes. Because they dive that's, in. That's part of the pattern. Yeah, no, you're really good at pulling it back to the learning. Um yes. so Mark, this isn't a question, but it's an observation. And I was reading and I thought, I never heard you say this. Okay. But you wrote in your introduction about how you personally wanted to change you know, your habit of, in your words, I'm, I'm quoting you, occasion, making occasionally snarky posts mm -hmm. that criticize mistake makers, implying that they should know better. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if I ever shared this with you, but <laughs> I'm one of those people you called out a long time ago. Really? Yeah. Many years ago, I think we had a running blog on what I was calling visual management. If I look back now, and this led to something actually good, I realized, oh, I was really talking about visual workplaces. Uh -huh. And you right. kind of called me out on using the term wrong. And I think you said something like, are you really helping anybody? Like, oh, no. It was so, it was like a slap. Oh. And so we had to decide, like, do we delete this post? Oh, like, I no. didn't know you. Right. I, got, I knew you then. Now I was like, who is Mark Raven? And now, you know, and then so I, you know, I deleted it. I actually mm -hmm. went through, tried to change my verbiage. I fixed my mistake. And then 
when I when I look at you now, because now I know you, we've collaborated. Um, you know, you're a you're an ally, but I also realize, you know, you have like you know, eighteen gazillion followers, and you're a leader oh. in our social media world, and you've become kind and constructive. You've also become a great defender of people who get attacked on social media. So you're modeling your ideals for psychological safety. And that's really cool. Yeah. I don't know if you thought about that. I mean, I'm sure you do because you're embodying it, but that's really great to see. Well, so for, for why I feel bad, I feel like that was a mistake <laughs> to have typed what I typed the way I typed it. Um, but I mean, at some point, you're you're right. There was some reflection. Some of it was the 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 spark of the book practicing lean of um trying to adjust some of that behavior to 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 ask back to my own comment. I could ask myself, was that comment being helpful? <laughs> um, was that comment serving me or you or 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 others well? And and so I mean that I would say looking back at it, it was a mistake for me to type what I did the way I did. Um, and I'm sorry for that. You know, I'm not perfect and I still slip up sometimes, or I, I try to at least be a little bit more mindful of not typing a reply or something that's, you know, when, when I'm, I'm just sort of like, I don't know, highly activated, like to take a breath or to, to try to think back, you know, um, Back to you know, the question of is it is it is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it helpful? And I appreciate you sharing that. Okay, I guess I had made a point, but I probably didn't make it the right way. Well, I think what she's also saying is we've seen you grow in your personal journey about people who make mistakes. And um, you know, I, I I have to say, I, I remember this conversation with Elizabeth when it happened, and we were like, oh my gosh, let's stay away from this guy. <laughs> and now yeah. we love you. So, but, because you have, you have done a transformation and it's, you're really practicing what you're preaching. And, I, you know, there's people, lots of people out there that don't, you know, they say be a lean leader, but they're really not doing lean leadership. And not just practicing what you're preaching. You've built a whole podcast around it. And then you've brought this book together. Like you said, it isn't just the podcast. It isn't just the stories, but you're weaving what you've learned and how leaders can make this happen, right? What are the things you've got to do to own and build that culture? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, we're, we're practicing, right. And that was part of the, the spark for the book, practicing lean, uh -huh. uh, you know, yeah. we're, if we're, we're, we're practicing, hopefully we're, we're getting better. We're learning from mistakes. Um, sometimes that requires somebody to call out a mistake or to give some feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Otherwise, we we can't improve. I'm I'm, I'm glad this uh, and 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 I do appreciate you bringing that up, Elizabeth. Um, I, I was starting to worry for a second though that suddenly the Zoom was going to expand to like 24 people and it was like an intervention. <laughs> Mark Rabin, this is your life. <laughs> Everyone that I've made a rude comment to. You remember your third grade teacher, Mark? <laughs> she remembers you. <laughs> and we have her on at this podcast right now. Let's bring her in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mrs. Connolly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, I want to know, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, 
That's a good question. Um, anything else I should have asked? Or I don't know. Anything you want the audience to know about the book, about yeah. you, that we didn't ask you? I'll tell yeah. you one. I, it's, okay. it's curious, unless you already have it, which is yeah. you use cultivate culture mm. instead of build or make. And I'm curious okay. why that verb was significant for you. That's what you should have asked me. <laughs> it's <laughs> perfect that you did. Um, no, you've got me. I'll, I'll pause. I'll, I'll put the reflecting uh, on hold about um, you know previous previous snarky blog posts or whatever. So okay, I'll put that aside. But the uh, the word cultivating. Um, you're right. You know, and kind of iterating around the subtitle. Uh, at one point, it was creating a culture of learning and innovation. And I'm like, well, creating. I'm like, we're still kind of agonizing on the subtitle. And they're like, fine. There's never a perfect subtitle, but you want it to be good enough or at least not terrible. And uh, my friend Don, old friend of mine, who is the artist who did the cover design work here, um, really sharp guy. And he, you know, we were talking about the book and the podcast and what was behind it. And he suggested, well, wh what about the word cultivating? I, I really like that, right? Like creating sounds like a one-time event. You don't create a culture and say we're done. Um, building is a little bit too mechanical, maybe. So then, you know, cultivating, um, we're like, yeah, it's like, it's like a garden. Like you continue feeding and nurturing the garden and I don't have a garden. So I'm not trying to offer gardening advice, but you know, um, yeah, I think cultivating and, and there's some other people who have written business books where they're they're using the word cultivate around culture. Um, there's similar root words, and you know, maybe it's a little clunky to say out loud, cultivating a culture. Mm, I love it. But that's what we landed on. I think there's good meaning behind cultivating. And Elizabeth, you kind of called out like some of the steps to trying to plant a garden map well yeah. to our culture work, which is for one, starting with intent. What garden? are we wanting to grow? What plants or crops are we wanting to plant? Now, there, there are times, and I think, you know, in a positive way, Kinexus, a company I've been affiliated with for a long time, um, had more of a, like a discovery of like, hey, there's stuff growing back here. <laughs> you know, like, let's, let's turn that into a garden of like, you know, there had been intent, as I describe in the book, intent to have a culture of continuous improvement but then I think what sort of happened naturally was a culture of learning from mistakes. Like that's really strong at Kinexus. The, the, the level of psychological safety is generally really high at Kinexus. So then at some point, once you discover, okay, that, that was sort of naturally occurring. Now we can de de declare an intent to turn it into a garden and to keep it growing and keep it thriving. So that happens sometimes as well. Yes. Yeah, I Go love ahead. that analogy so much. I actually did a presentation uh, called Soil to Success, <laughs> Cultivating a Culture of Continuous Improvement. Oh, it, you know, talks oh, about yeah. being prominent, you know, <laughs> growing thumb and and, you know, you're going to have a bountiful harvest. But often, you know, how many times have we tried to grow something and like the thing just dies on the vine? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that was terrible. <laughs> Is the was the soil was the soil ready? Mm. right till yeah. the soil right how don't do we just... keep the pests out yeah and then you know just throw the seeds you gotta water it 
You yeah. gotta, you know, talk to your plants. <laughs> well, send me or a post. I would love to see what you wrote because now I'm past the point of trying to worry about not inadvertently plagiarizing somebody. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, but no, it's a totally absolute, like beautiful concept for what we do because it really, it, you know, there's a lot of growing to be done there to have a bountiful harvest and then you have to maintain it. It's not just a one and done, like you said. So yes. yeah, great, great verb. I like it too. And I feel like it's nuanced and, you know, build, create, you know, all, like you said, there's, there's something kind of mundane and not, not quite, a, um, I don't know what the word is, but it's like enticing as a leader. Mm-hmm. I feel like cultivate feels more enticing to me. Like, yeah, I want to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm game to work that, mm-hmm. uh, work in that direction. Yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So um, Mark, this, I, thanks so much for fielding all of our crazy questions and, uh, and, and the you, observation that wasn't and the observation. I feel bad <laughs> now. It's no, like you're waiting no, for no, all these no. people to come out of the wings. Uh, no, 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 um, no. Sorry. But, uh, See, I, I know you well that. enough now I'm giving you grief. I'm not trying to, uh, but I mean, sincerely your role in social media, in, uh, in our, uh, in our kind of social workplace, the role you play has become incredibly helpful. Um, and you are a leader there. So thank I you. do. Appreciate- well, thank you. I was just gonna add one other thing though. I think at some point there's this realization of the different role of like, well, I'm just some guy sharing my thoughts online versus, oh, there's potentially 500 and 20,000 people on LinkedIn who are going to be exposed to what I shared. And like that, I mean, so that that followership, you know, has grown over time, but I don't, you know, at some point, yeah, you, there's this re- realization of some of the obligation that, 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 that comes with that or, or sort of being on the, like, oh, I can't be like, oh, I'm just a guy sharing thoughts. Like it's, it's very much on display and, and I, I can't just take the positive that comes with that. There's some obligation to, to use that responsibly and, or be on my, my, my best behavior, you know, and not that I feel like I'm censoring myself, but I'm trying to, you know, grow and, and, mm. and just be more constructive. And well, I mean, and best behavior is modeling the way which you are, which is wonderful. You know what you did, Mark, you pictured yourself a leader. <laughs> Oh, I worked that in. Okay. So Mark, um, I want you to tell us the best way for folks to reach you if they're interested. And of course, we're going to provide links to the book and more for our audience. So yeah, uh, markraben.com. They can find me there. The book's website is mistakesbook.com. Elizabeth, you you brought up a, a mistake that makes us my mistake, you know, I don't know, our mistakes, it's intertwined here, made us in some way. So yeah, the mistakes that make us, yeah. mistakesbook.com. Um, the podcast is um, similar, my favorite mistake, and they can go to mistakespodcast.com. And then LinkedIn is probably the main online social media place where I'm active these days. Um, it's been a pleasure, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on the cafe. Yes, thanks, thanks Mark. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's always a a strong cup of coffee and a a good pick-me-up. So thank you. (laughs) 
sure to register for our Wednesday, July 26th webinar featuring the Director of Strategic Initiatives and Innovation for the City of Port St. Lucie, Florida, Kate Parmalee and her team. The webinar is titled Strategic Innovation, Empowering Changemakers. They're going to give us the keys to their success and how they built their strategic plan. You don't want to miss this. Really good stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for guidance on becoming a better leader and better at lean cultural transformation, come join Elizabeth and I for our interactive course at UC San Diego called Lean Six Sigma Leadership. It starts this August. It really focuses on leader standard work and you can join from anywhere in the world because it is a virtual class. And oh, by the way, don't forget to order Elizabeth's book. Be sure to get a copy of the best-selling Picture Yourself a Leader because you are one whether you know it or not and you can get better at it. All the links are below. And be sure to check out Baby Got Tools, Tracy's new hit lean parody rap video. It will pump you up to crush waste. Lastly, Tracy and I are going to be reissuing the Problem Solvers Toolkit this fall. The demand keeps increasing, so Tracy and I are giving it some TLC. And we'll keep you posted on the relaunch. Stay tuned for all the news by joining our community at the Just in Time Cafe. That's J-I-T-C-A-F-E.com. We're always psyched to have your company, the Just in Time Cafe. It's a great place to visit. Just listening to us makes you 80% smarter. Join us next month and every month for your jolt of lean caffeine.